All right, so we are in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and something I want to do as we go through this chapter in this, uh, this book over the next few weeks is um, I, I want to point out a few things that kind of help us as we just learn from this, make application, but uh, this kind of goes along with what I talked about last week in stealing God's words, where often we just kind of take what we want from the passage, you know, and we can kind of make it mean whatever we want to do. We talked about, you know, appropriate and inappropriate ways that we can do that, but and then one thing I want to point out as we go through this chapter and kind of how I want to preach this book is we want to do everything we can to try to get the full message of this letter as it was written to Timothy. Not as it was written just to us, even though there's something there for us, but as it was written to Timothy. When we understand that in the best way possible, I think we get the most out of this book and then it will also help us to apply these verses correctly when we take personal things from here and apply it to our life. So 2 Timothy, just a little bit of background before we start going through this book, uh, this is believed to be the final epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote. This was something he wrote probably shortly before he died. It's considered one of the pastoral epistles, and it's written to a pastor giving him instructions. This is you know, from Paul to Timothy. A specific person writing to another specific person in a specific situation in a specific time. And we can figure out a little bit about what was going on based on what's in the letter, based on things we read in the book of Acts and other books. There's a lot of stuff we can get from this. And so something that's interesting, I think, about this epistle is that it's very clear when you read between the lines that the Apostle Paul is trying to encourage a pastor who is sad. I think we see, we're going to see a lot of evidence of that. Because Timothy knows he's about to lose a great friend. He knows here that it's probably just a short time, and this man who has been a father to me, you know, as far as the ministry goes, is not going to be with me anymore. And so he's trying to encourage him, I believe, to just kind of take up his mantle, is what we're going to see. And then uh, that way, the work that Paul started, or the work that God started through Paul, will continue going even after Paul's gone. Because that's what anybody who's ever done any work for the Lord, they want to know at the end of their life that if when they die, the work is going to continue going. I mean, even right now, even though I have no intention of going anytime soon, there, you know, one thing that I'm concerned about is if what if something happened to me? I want to know that Liberty Baptist Church is going to keep on going and doing things for God. Because this is the Lord's work. It's not just my work. And so... When we go through this book, I want to do two things. First, let's look at what this letter and what Paul is saying would have meant specifically to Timothy since he was the one that was written to. Now, this is important, too, because 2 Timothy 2 contains the main foundational verse for dispensationalism. 2 Timothy 2.15. And so if we were going to follow the rules of dispensationalism consistently, we could say, none of this applies to us because are you Timothy? You know, this, you know, who's this book written to? It's written to Timothy. But obviously, that's just foolish because we know it was written to Timothy, but there's a lot we can get from it. This is profitable to us. So also, though, I want us to figure out what we're supposed to get from it in our own lives. How does this apply to me personally? It's an important thing. And we ought to look at that when we read any book of the Bible. Whether you're reading the book of you know, Leviticus, you ought to think, what is the Lord want me to learn from this to help me in my life. That's very important that we do that. So as we read this, let's try to read between the lines, kind of like everyone does, you know, when there's a sermon being preached, especially if they think it might be addressed towards someone. Okay? Have you ever done, been there before and listened to a sermon and the pastor's preaching, he's kind of vague on a lot of things, but you're kind of on the inside, you know what he's talking about, don't you? And so you get more out of that sermon than everybody else who's not aware of what's going on. Okay, so for example, you know, there's some kind of, let's say some kind of drama is going on. You always have those people that are like in the loop, they know what's going on. You got the other people that are clueless. And then the pastor will make all these references and you know, half the crowd is just right over their head. But you that are in the loop, you know, you get more out of it because you know what he's talking about. You know what's going on. I mean, you know, even especially too, you've been there before where maybe you get in trouble with the pastor or you got rebuked about something and you're just waiting in that message. Is pastor going to snipe me tonight? You know, I know right now there's people watching the live stream wondering if I'm going to snipe them tonight. 
And they're going to be like listening to everything I say and wondering, does this apply to me? Trying to kind of, you know, read between the lines or listen between the lines of what I'm saying. And for any of those that are on, they're online watching tonight, wonder if they're getting sniped tonight, you're probably in the clear, okay? Because uh, nothing really in this chapter applies to you. But after last week's message, you all know I could make it. <laughs> you all know I could make it apply to whatever I want, but I don't feel like doing that tonight. But anyway, we're going we're gonna to stick. So I want you to kind of think about that as we read this. Most of the time we read our Bible, and it, it, it's fine. We do. We just try to look at what's in it for me. But let's try to think about what this would have meant to Timothy, you know, when it was, because it was written to him and when he got it. So let's go and start reading in verse 1. Because when you know the context, a lot of times there's a lot more meaning. So in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. I think it's interesting how he started that out, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul's writing to a man who is sad, we're going to see, because he knows he's about to lose Apostle Paul to death. So why not start it out talking about the promise of life that comes from Christ Jesus? Because that's what we're all about. We're all about eternal life. We're all about the soul. We're not so much about what this physical world has to offer and the physical life. We're not really so much caught up in that. So Paul's trying to remind Timothy about the promise of life since Timothy in his mind is probably thinking the end is coming for Paul. So let's just kick this off and right away remind him about the promise of life that the Apostle Paul is not done. He is not done. In fact, I believe he is going to be one of the twelve apostles judging the twelve tribes of Israel during the millennial reign. So, Paul's got a thousand years of work left to do. The Apostle Paul is far from done. When he died, he was just getting started. So he's reminding Timothy of that. And he says to Timothy, My dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, grace, mercy, and peace. He's telling them, hey, this isn't time to despair. He's trying to just put out some comforting and encouraging words because obviously he's going to need it when the Apostle Paul is sitting in prison. Now think about this as we go through this letter too. Because you're probably thinking, well, I don't know if Timothy was that scared. Well, we're going to see evidence that he was that concerned. We're going to see evidence that he was. But imagine if you were the Apostle Paul's mentor. You're kind of his sidekick. You're a guy who works with him. In fact, I believe... I think it was in the book of Philippians, there was evidence too that Timothy was in prison with Paul. I think it was there. I can't I might be speaking out of line here. But if you're somebody who follows after Paul and you do what Paul, you're somebody who does what Paul does, isn't there a good chance you're going to end up the way Paul ends up? So, I mean, here's Timothy, you know, who's been following this man, gone through a lot of the same things he's gone through, and here he is about to be put to death. Now, that's going to scare you a little bit. Like, maybe I ought to follow somebody else. You know, that's, I mean, wouldn't that be kind of natural? You know, wouldn't our flesh naturally go that way? But, you know, the Apostle Paul, he's telling them, hey, this, this is time of peace. This isn't time to despair. And he says, I thank my God, whom I serve from, from my forefathers, with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have made remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. So he knows he's crying. He's mentioned being mindful of his tears when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice and I am persuaded that in thee also. So I believe Paul was probably more concerned about Timothy than he was about himself. And the reason I think that too is because that's how he was with the Philippians. Now turn over to Philippians chapter 1. So notice how he mentions, hey, I, I have this desire to see thee. He's like, I'm mindful of thy tears. Okay? I know you've been shedding tears over what's going on. And he, and, you know, and if I could see you, you know, I'd be filled with joy. And, but I do, I believe Paul, when he's writing this letter, he's writing it you know, one, because he's trying to give instruction, but he's also trying to encourage. And I believe there's a part of him, too, that has some legitimate concern. And we see in Philippians chapter 1, I need to get turned over there, Philippians chapter 1, in verse 21, says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, 
This is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful to you. And if you remember back a while back when I preached you the book of Philippians, I was showing how the Apostle Paul, while he was in prison, he was confident that he was going to be getting out of prison. He was saying here in Philippians, hey, I'm ready to go. But I believe the Lord's going to let me out, mainly because of the work that they had been doing. The work that they had been doing, it was making a difference, and it had you know, resulted in Paul's salvation, physically speaking. And we talked all about that when we went through Philippians 1. So in Philippians 1, Paul's in prison, and in many ways, you know, it's looking like death, but Paul was confident he was going to be getting out of this thing. In fact, he was in prison, when he was in prison, when he wrote the book of Philippians, what I see when I'm reading that is he's just kind of there like, well, I'm in prison, I'm supposed to die, but I'm probably not going to. And you know what? It kind of stinks because I'm ready to go to heaven. It's almost like he was disappointed that he knew the Lord's going to answer their prayers. But you know, we don't see that in 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, he's kind of in the same situation, but it's like he's accepted that this is it. And Paul's ready to go. but And I believe the Holy Spirit probably had revealed to him and showed him in some way that he was going to die. But it didn't matter. Paul, the Apostle Paul was confident that he was going to make it. And so that was, a, that was a blessing. My phone is going off up here. I don't know what's going on. I thought I had the thing turned down. Sorry about that. But anyway, look at verse 6. Or, um, so it says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So before this verse, he mentioned how he, the unfeigned faith that was in him, that was in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And then he mentions how to remind him of the gift that was given him by the putting on of his hands. So Paul, you know, he had joy with Timothy because he was confident Timothy would do the right thing. He understood where Timothy came from. He understood Timothy's history, that he had a good mother, that he had a good grandmother, that they had taught him the right things. So Timothy, he's got like a, he's got a real good heritage. He comes from a family that had a record of faithfulness, and he was the Apostle Paul was somebody who had a record of faithfulness. So here, you know, Timothy, I mean, think about his heritage. He had a wonderful mother and grandmother that taught him the scriptures from a child. And then he was taught and mentored by the Apostle Paul. So Timothy's been set up real well, hasn't he? And the Apostle Paul, I believe, had great confidence that was done. And so when he mentions that gift that was given to him, that he stir up that gift of God by the putting on of his hands, I believe Paul is wanting Timothy to use this gift that was given to him of preaching. I believe that's what he's doing. And not just preaching, but preaching with power. Because Paul's about to check out, but the work that Paul started, it can still continue through Timothy. And let me tell you something, too. I don't want to preach about you know, ordination and things like that tonight. But I'm telling you right now, it is important and it does matter where you came from. When I, spiritually speaking, and when it comes to things like ordination. I have never, I mean, every example I can think of, of somebody who like went into the ministry with some illegitimate ordination always ends up being some weirdo doctrinally. You know why? Because we're supposed to be teaching the things the same. We'll see that next week. But when we have no heritage, when we have nothing that was before us, we're just doing our own thing, we're going to end up being caught up in all kinds of weirdness. But when you actually come from something, hey, you know, there, there's going to be some resemblance of that. For example, you know, many, most of you out uh, here, many of you here have met my parents, okay? And one thing, whenever you meet anyone's biological parents, what's something that you expect to see? Some kind of similarities, aren't you? You're looking for, you know, those facial features, just looks and things, and you can usually tell, can't you? I mean, most of you in here, if I've never met your parents, if we were to get everybody's parents in here today, I could probably match them all up with all of you. You know why? Because there's going to be some resemblance. 
There's going to be some things that you have in common, and that, that's, a, that's a natural thing. Well, if you come from something spiritually, there's going to be some resemblance. That's why we have people like Tyler Doka out there that nobody recognizes what he is. I mean, what religion would you call Tyler Doka? Hey, he doesn't even have one anymore. He dropped the name Baptist, thankfully. But why is that? You know why? He comes from nothing. He literally comes from nothing. Just a self-appointed, self-ordained guy, and he gets caught up in all kinds of weirdness. And you know, most of you, uh, you know, you never, you know, you've never, or you never went to the church that I was from. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if you could, if you could go back in time and you know go to that church when my dad was there, and even even now, if you went there, I don't know how much things are different. You know, it's a different pastor now, but you would see a lot of things in that church. They'd be like, I see why. We do these things here because, I mean, frankly, when we started the church here, I just copied a whole bunch of stuff that we did at the other church. And, you know, obviously there's some little differences here and there. Same thing, too, when it comes to doctrine, even illustrations. There's a bunch of things that you're going to hear from me that, you know, you would have heard from my dad. And so people, you know, who were under my dad's ministry, they would be able to tell you if they came here for any length of time that, hey, they would be able to point out the similarities. Now, where does that come from? Because that's what I descend from spiritually, too. And so there's always differences, and nobody in here looks exactly like their parents. But you're going to see some similarities. And so so Timothy, since he comes from the Apostle Paul spiritually, the Apostle Paul had certain expectations. He expected a guy who was going to be faithful. He expected a guy who was going to be down the line doctrinally. He was somebody that was going to stick it, stick with it through the hard times because that's what the Apostle Paul was. And you know, that's the kind of expectation I have. You know, from, you know if I lay hands on somebody, I expect, expect the same spirit that is in me to be in you. And I really hope that, you know, something doesn't happen and somewhere down the road, you know, I hear you just preaching all kinds of Dokaisms or something, you know. I, I don't want to see something like that. That shouldn't be. If that was the case, I sent you out, and you'll. But I did it obviously without the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, I got it wrong, and that's possible. That could happen. But the Apostle Paul was confident in Timothy because Paul knew what he had, and he knew he gave it to Timothy, and he wanted him to stir up that gift. He wanted him to use that gift. And let me tell you something. I don't know how to explain it, and I've, I've said this before, but there is something empowering when it comes to your preaching when you have actually been given that authority. And there's a difference in the way somebody who preaches, who's out there, who's illegitimate, who knows they're illegitimate, than somebody who is legitimate, who does go out in proper authority. I guess you can kind of illustrate it. It's like when you know we go out in society today, we often kind of go out now with a lesser confidence because we know we're often breaking the rules because we're not wearing masks and things and doing all the stuff we're supposed to be doing. Anybody feel weird? Anybody else just feel like a criminal when you go out and about today? Oh, that's how I feel all the time. And you, know, and you, do, you, just, you don't walk with that same confidence. You, know? you see those workers and you, know, you, try to, you try to go away from the workers, don't you? Because we all know we're breaking the rules. So there's not that confidence that we have. But when, you you know, back before, when I'd go into Walmart, I used to walk into Walmart, and I didn't, I, I didn't even look at the workers. I didn't even think of the workers. In fact, most of the time, I had to look for workers if I needed help. You know how hard, you know how hard it is to find a worker at Walmart when you need help? Now, I can't get away from them. You know, that's how I feel anyway. You know why? Because I'm not in there following the rules in the right way, you know, and so... It makes it difficult, and there's a lot of preachers behind pulpits today that shouldn't be there, and they know they shouldn't be there, and so they don't have that same confidence in their preaching. They don't have that same power in their preaching, and you know, they need to get it. Some of them are good guys, but they don't have any power in their preaching because they have no authority. They have no biblical authority, and therefore they have no spiritual power in their preaching, and I'm I'm telling you, it makes a difference. It makes a difference when you get there legitimately and you know you did it right. You know you followed the rules. You know you didn't cheat. You can have confidence. And 
Timothy did it all right. And so, because of that, he had every reason to have confidence. So he says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, we bring that verse up all the time, like around Halloween and when it comes to being scared of things. But the Apostle Paul, he said this in the context of, hey, you've got a gift that is in you. You've got a spirit in you. And it's not the spirit of fear. You don't have to get up behind the pulpit and preach and be timid and scared and second-guess yourself and question yourself and talk about how humble you are, even though you're not a very good preacher and things like that. You don't have to do any of that kind of stuff. You can get up there and with power and with boldness and you can preach because you don't have the spirit of fear, but a power. You have that authority behind you. You can do it of love. You've got the authority. Now you're doing it for the right reasons. You're doing it out of love and you're doing it of a sound mind. And you're not going to be up there sounding like some crazy person teaching some weird stuff. You're going to be doing it the right way. And that's what Timothy had. So Paul was confident with him. So now it would make sense though that Timothy would fear continuing the work of Paul since Paul's being killed for it. But Paul wasn't afraid, and so Timothy doesn't need to fear either. Hey, Timothy, you come from me. I'm the one in prison right now. I'm the one about to get my head cut off. You see me shaking in my boots? I'm ready to go. You know, I'm ready to go. I'm confident. The only thing I'm worried about is that the work continues. And you know what? I've got you, and I'm confident in you. And so, you know what? Right now, I just want to encourage you. I want to give you some instruction because I'm about to check out. And I'm, I, just allow me to just go to my grave knowing that the work is going to continue. And let me enjoy the trip there. I think that's Paul's attitude he has right here. And you know what? I do, I, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But man, I've got a mental picture of the Apostle Paul when he was martyred. And it's a great mental picture. And it's the way I want to be someday when I'm put to death. When I get put to death, I hope you see me, I mean, just holding back the grin. I, you know, I, I hope you see me just confident, excited. And you know what? I've, I've thought, maybe, you know, maybe I'm weird. I think about this stuff too much, all right? You may have, man, who thinks about this stuff that much? I do think about this stuff, all right? I don't want to go out in a car wreck and with cancer or something like that. If, I, if we're going to die, let's find a good way to do it. And what a better way than a martyr's death. But obviously... If tomorrow they told me they were going to put me to death for something, yes, that stinks. I'm going to miss my family. You know, I know my family needs me. My church needs me. But, you know, if something ever comes up and they condemn me to death and there is just nothing I can do about it, man, you know, allow me to, you know, if, if, if all of you accepted that he's gone, it would give me the freedom to enjoy what I'm about to partake in. I mean, imagine knowing when you were going to die. Imagine that. Now, some people, that'd freak them out really bad. But for us, man, we know we're about to be in the presence of the Lord. If they told me, you know, on midnight this day, you're dead, well, that means at midnight that day, I see Christ. Now, that's something to actually get excited about. But if I'm hanging on and I'm concerned about all the things in this life, I don't get to enjoy the biggest moment of my life, that death. Crossing over into glory, that is a wonderful thing to think about. And so, you know, I, I hope when that time comes, when, you know, when the time comes, I hope I have some kind of notice that I'm going to die. And even if it is something lame like cancer, all right, I hope that, you know, my family will allow me to just, you know, let go and go and not be like freaking out and crying and all that kind of stuff. You cry a little bit, but not too much. Let me enjoy the fact that I am about to go to heaven. And so that's the Apostle Paul. I don't, I don't think Paul, Paul's acting this way here. This is how he feels. This is how it is. And he's doing this because he's trying to show Timothy, this is the way you die. This is the way it's done. Because the Apostle Paul also knew Timothy one of these days would probably be in the same situation that he's in. And I do believe according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, Timothy was martyred too. Uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, and I don't know how accurate that is. But chances are, Timothy, the way he followed Paul's lead probably died a martyr's death, especially during that time. So, when, you know, Paul, uh, in verse 8, he says, Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God. 
Now, most people, when they talk about not being ashamed, it's like, well, don't be ashamed of the fact that people know you're a Christian, that people you know, notice that you dress differently and things like that. But when the Apostle Paul said that, he's telling him not to be ashamed. It's like, well, why would he be ashamed? Because he was a prisoner. Because he was on his way to being killed and put to death. Because he's being afflicted. And he's telling him to be a partaker of the afflictions. And you want to know why a lot of people don't want to preach some of the doctrines that we preach today? It's not because they don't believe it. It's because they don't want to partake in the afflictions. Okay, they've seen you know, the blacklisting and things that goes on when you teach things like the post-trib doctrine. You know, if you teach the truth about the Jews in Israel, they've seen what happens. They've seen the ridicule that you get, and they don't want to partake in that. But you know what? I, I would gladly tell anybody, man, be a partaker. Don't be ashamed of these things. Don't be ashamed of the affliction that comes. You know what? Be thankful for that. You know, back when I was lame and didn't hardly pre- you know, preach that much on anything, you know, nothing ever happened. Now I get named in conferences all the time. I mean, you know, the Anti-Anderson Conference, even though it was called the Anti-Anderson Conference, that conference was held because of me. Okay? Now, I just need to get, make sure I get my credit there. It was me and one other guy, but mostly me. Okay? And I got that from Pastor Gomez himself. You know, I didn't get that when I was just going along with the party line. You know, but I'm going to tell you right now, while there was some affliction, it was worth it. And you know what? Be a partaker of the affliction. I would, I, I would encourage any pastor... Be a partaker of the affliction. You know what? I would encourage any pastor, be a partaker of the affliction that comes from preaching against the Sodomites. A lot of people don't want to talk about the Sodomites because they don't want to partake in the affliction. It's okay to do that. Be a partaker of the affliction. One of these days, we're all going to be getting afflicted for much less. So you might as well get used to it now. You might as well participate right now. But you know what people they do? They get ashamed. And Paul's telling Timothy not to be ashamed of his connection to him. And you know what? I, am, I can still say this. I'm still thankful that pretty much any time a pastor, a Baptist pastor, is getting hammered in the news, it's usually a friend of mine. It almost always is. Even Pastor Shiflett recently. Hey, I was friends with him before, you know, before the Fox News and before this thing. All right? It was... You know, and you know, we're like loose acquaintance. I never even seen, met him in person. We were just talking, texting. I, I consider him a friend. And you know what? I'm glad that if I, when I see a preacher getting hammered on the news, I know that guy. I have his phone number. You know, we're, we're, you know, we, we, we know each other, and I'm not ashamed of that. When I saw him on the news, and when there was people out there making fun of him, I didn't act like I don't know that guy. You know, a lot of the pastors we fellowship with, they've been on the news for preaching against homos. I'm not, I don't hide the fact that I'm friends with that guy. In fact, many times when pastors have been getting hammered in the news, that's when I usually change my profile picture to a picture with, with them to show people, hey, I know that guy. I'm friends with that guy that everybody's hammering, everybody's criticizing. Because you know I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. But some people would. And most people, I would never be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. But they are every time this type of things happen. That's why when Pastor Fritz was getting hammered, Charles Lawson, who's in the same town as him, decided to preach against him. You know why? Because they both have the name Baptist, and he was afraid he might get connected to that, even though he's preached some of the same stuff not long before that. But all of a sudden, now that the news media is hammering him, Pastor Fritz is getting protested. Oh, y'all, that's terrible. You know, he's just, you know, he's Anderson. I, you know, he's just saying all this junk against him. Just completely changed his tune. You know what that's called? That's called a coward. That's called a man who is ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. And you know what? I don't have my picture with Charles Lawson. And I don't plan on getting my picture taken with him. Because that guy's an embarrassment. And a coward. I'm not interested in that. But, so, but at the same time, it is natural to be ashamed of these things. We were just talking about before, there's this guy, he's this queer little trendy, I, I swear this guy's a homo the way he talks, and he's, all, he's always exposing the perverts in the Baptist world, which, you know, that's good, but do you have to talk like a homo yourself? And why is it that everybody that wants to expose the perverts in the Baptist world, and I'm thankful they do, all have to also, you know, they're all former IFB, but then they also go just full trendy, except every bit of false 
doctrine and garbage that they teach. And he's on there, and they're talking about this pastor that you know been persecuted and things like that. And he's just like, you know, I've never been persecuted for my Christian faith. And I literally busted out laughing when I heard that. I was like, dude, why would anybody? You're just like the world. The world loves their own. And there he is. He's like talking about how I've never. He's like, that, that doesn't happen in America. They don't persecute Christians in America because I've never been persecuted. That's because you're not living godly in Christ Jesus. Because all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But not this guy. And you know what? I believe him. I believe that he has never been persecuted by the world for his Christianity. And I don't see it happening anytime soon. And I would be ashamed to be connected with that. Because that is not the testimony of our Lord. The testimony of our Lord was him being taken out, mocked, beaten, and crucified. That's what they did with him. And people like him, like John the Baptist, who was mistaken for Jesus, he got his head cut off. And all the followers of Jesus, that's the kind of thing that happened. But these guys today, they want to pattern themselves after the Billy Balaams out there that were honored by presidents and honored by royalty and all these people and were greatly honored in their death. These are the people they want to pattern themselves after. Billy Graham does not have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Not at all. And I don't want to waste time on him. But when Christians suffer for the cause of Christ, our natural instinct is to want to distance ourselves from them, but we should be willing to stand alongside those that are doing right and suffer with them. We ought to be willing to do that. And if we see, you know, one of our pastor friends, you know, being criticized and being ridiculed for teaching the truth, a truth, a truth that we believe, you know, we shouldn't be ashamed to say, uh, put a video clip out there showing that we believe that too. Oh, you're all going to make him look like some, you know, fringe lunatic nut job. Hey, he's not the only one. I believe that too. You know, that's one of the reasons I started putting a lot of my preaching and stuff on YouTube. I was never really interested in that before. I never really thought about, you know, getting my preaching out there for everyone to hear. But I got tired of seeing people that I agreed with that believed what I believed. Be, you know, people acting like they were some nut job that was the only one that ever preached that type of thing. I would hear these preachers act like some of the stuff Pastor Anderson taught that nobody else teaches that. I'm sitting there thinking... Not only do I teach it, but I've heard a lot of you preach a lot of that same stuff before the persecution started. And so I'm like, you know what, maybe I should get out on YouTube. Maybe I should put a chance. So at least people can see there's one more person out there teaching this type of thing. But you know, there's a lot of people out there that believe exactly what we believe today. They're not going to put their preaching out there. You know why? Because they're ashamed of the chain. They're ashamed of, of being a partaker of the affliction and we don't need to do that. And you know, that, I believe that would have discouraged Paul greatly if Timothy would have been acting like he didn't know who Paul was. That, that, I believe that would have, uh, it would have really discouraged him. So look at verse 9. It says, Who hath saved us and hath called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest... By the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I love this passage here because this is another passage that just destroys dispensational salvation. Because look at what the, the salvation that Paul was preaching here was a salvation that had always been around, but it was not made manifest or it was not completely understood until that day. Because notice again what he said. Who had saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Okay, that's, how, that's the salvation that we teach, right? You know, we, in the dispensation, you know, you preach Paul's salvation. That came later. Okay? So the, the salvation, not according to works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, doesn't that line up with what we teach about the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world? So, no, but why does it say it that way? Why does it say this grace that was given in Christ Jesus before the world began? Okay? Why is it saying that? Because he's pointing out too, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Say, so, well, now... 
Why did they sacrifice those animals in the Old Testament? Because the salvation we have today had not been revealed. Those things were a shadow of what we have. Okay? Jesus Christ on the cross, His death, burial, and resurrection. That is salvation. That is the gospel. So what about those lambs? I don't see the death, burial, and resurrection. No, but you see the shadow of those things. That The sacrificial lamb, that was clearly a shadow of Jesus Christ. The Passover lamb. You know, all these things that we see in the Old Testament, they were a figure of the salvation that was to come. And all of those who believed in God, all those who trusted in Him, hey, those who believed in Him and believed in those shadows of what was to come, believed in Jesus Christ. The salvation that they received was a salvation that was purchased and paid for by Jesus Christ. Their salvation was the same as ours. It's just clear to us now because we're not looking at the shadow anymore. We can look at the real thing. So right here is proof that the salvation that we preach today is the salvation that saved people from before the world began. So this is an important thing to understand. This is, not, you know, this is just one of many passages, and there's much more clearer passages, but I think this one's very clear too, showing uh, that salvation's always been the same. All salvation, everyone who has ever been saved, it's been without works. Now it looks like works in the Old Testament, but it was made manifest in the New Testament that it was not of works. That's real clear right there. Well, it looks like it was all about a sacrificial lamb. It looks like it was about these other things in the Old Testament. Yes, but it's been manifested that it wasn't those things. It was Jesus Christ. Okay? What saved them in the Old Testament was the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, not the sacrificial lamb. So this is a very important thing we need to understand. So, verse 11. It says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now notice, I, I love this passage too. First of all, he said, I'm not ashamed of the fact I'm suffering. Yes, I'm, I, he, I, Paul was obviously being told he was a criminal. Because nobody says, you know, we're just going to kill you because we don't like Jesus. You know, they're always going to, you know, hey, you're stirring up the people, you're causing trouble, you know, you're going against Caesar. They always accuse you of everything except the truth. And the Apostle Paul, though, he wasn't ashamed. And then he goes on to say, For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now, let me ask you, what did the Apostle Paul commit to him? It was his soul, wasn't it? He committed his soul to Jesus. Notice, when the Apostle Paul got saved, he did not commit to God. A lot of people, I made a commitment to God. That's when I got saved. You made a commitment to God. Okay, what does that mean? Well, I, I promised him I'm going to start going to church. I promised him I'm going to turn from my sins. I'm going to be a better person. I committed to him that I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get that. You know what? That's not how you get saved. You don't get saved by you committing to God. You get saved by committing yourself to him. In other words, here, Lord, you hang on to this. Okay? It would be like Lana, she's got her money for kindergarten graduation. She's been waving around all over the place. And I've been telling her, give that to your mom. And why am I saying that? Because if she keeps it, she will probably lose it. Just like we would do it if we held on to our own salvation, we would lose it. But we do not hang on to our souls. We commit it to Jesus Christ. We say, here, you keep my salvation. You keep my soul. I'm going to trust you. To get me to heaven. In other words, I'm trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. I'm trusting, hey, Jesus never sinned. Jesus, you know, persevered to the end. Jesus did everything. All I've done is accepted the free gift of salvation. I've trusted in His Word. And you know what? He has my soul. Therefore, I can't lose my salvation. Because my salvation is in Him. So because of that, you know what? I'm, I'm not ashamed. I'm confident. No matter what they say, no matter what they do to me, I will go to heaven. I will go to heaven no matter what happens 
And you got a lot of people out there today, they think they're going to heaven because they've committed to Christ. But no, you commit your soul to Him, meaning you give it to Him. This is your soul, and you go and you give it to God. And once you give it to Him, He hangs on to it and He keeps it. But a lot of people are thinking, no, I, I can hang on to it myself. No, you can't. You cannot keep it yourself. You will lose it for sure. So Paul's basically saying here that he knows he's going to be all right because of who has his soul. Yeah, I might get put to death, but I'm going to heaven. So he had nothing to worry about because he knew whom he believed in. I know whom I have believed. Therefore, I'm good. I'm confident. Verse 13, hold fast the uh, form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed unto, unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. So one thing we're going to see in this chapter is Paul is exhorting Timothy to continue what has been started. That's what Paul wants. So he's telling him to hold on to that, those form of sound words that you've heard of me. The things you heard from me, hang on to those things. Teach those things. The same thing that Paul was doing that Paul taught, he wanted Timothy doing. He didn't want Timothy out there reinventing the wheel. He didn't want Timothy coming out with new weird doctrines. And that's what would have happened if Timothy just would have done his own thing and his own authority. But no, Timothy went out with an authority that came from Paul that had an authority that came from Jesus Christ. And that's why we need to make sure we've got something that has been passed down. So too many people, they're always trying to start new things. But we need to keep things the same in the next chapter, in verse 22, it says, uh, Second Timothy chapter 2, or uh, it's in, uh, maybe it's 1 Timothy, or, yeah, first, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 2, 2. I'm thinking 22. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. We're trying to pass down the same things. That's what we want. Okay? When we start a church one of these days, there should be a lot of similarities to this church. So there might be some things different. Some of you might get different hymn books. But you better have the same Bible. Okay? Some of you might get different color carpet. You know? But you better have the same spirit. Okay? There's some things that should be the same that are not supposed to change. And that is very important. And so, um, it's important... That we also know in this chapter how Paul, he said he referred to the laying hands of Timothy, a gift that he passed on to him. And when you, when you skip that process, you're always going to do weird things. So just, just mark it down. Okay? Keep watching these guys that are going out without ordinations or fake ordinations. And it's only a matter of time and there's going to be all kinds of weird stuff that they're going to be teaching. They're going to be doing all kinds of weird things. It's the way, it always, it's, the way it's always been. It's the way it always will be. They can't help it. They don't have the right spirit. They don't have the power. They don't have the authority. So they're going to do weird stuff. So, you know, if we actually descend from someone, there will be similarities. So verse 15 says, This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. So this one man, he, he wasn't ashamed. While a lot of people are like, you know what, we don't know that guy. While he's sitting in jail on his way to be put to death, they all got scared. They all were cowards. And they distanced themselves from Paul. And you know, that's sad. That's terrible that these people were probably still saved. But you know what? Something tells me that they didn't go on and do great things for God like Timothy did. Something tells me that the Lord probably didn't continue using them in the same way He was using them before. Because you know what? They were ashamed. God's going to use those who aren't ashamed. And He mentions Onesiphorus who often are fresh. He wasn't ashamed. He wasn't ashamed to come visit Paul. I mean, wouldn't you think, okay, especially back then, all right, today, you know, we got a lot more due process and things are harder, but especially back then, wouldn't it have been kind of scary to go visit a guy who's in prison for doing the very thing that you do too? Wouldn't you think if they're looking for Christians and looking for people like Paul, that really good suspects would be people who are coming to visit Paul? I mean, isn't that just a good way to get on their radar? 
That's what that's what it seems like. And so it's like if it's me, I'm thinking, well, you know, if they can arrest Paul, they can arrest me too. But Paul needs help right now. Paul needs someone to visit him. Paul needs some encouragement. There's some you know physical things that he needs. You know what? I don't care. That guy needs me right now. I'm going to go go visit him. Yeah, I might get on their radar. But that that's all right. I'm not afraid to do that. And he, that's what he meant when he said he was not ashamed of my chain. That chain that was on Paul, they could have connected him to it too, if he wasn't careful. But he ministered his needs. He kept doing things for him, and it was a blessing. So it does seem clear that all these guys like Pagellus, Hermogenes, they turned away because they were ashamed of the persecution. They didn't want to get what Paul was getting. And Christians are often ashamed of Christ. And uh, you don't, we don't have to turn that over. In Mark 8, 31 through 38, Jesus talked about how he's going to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be, uh, uh, you know, if you follow me, you're going to be killed. They're going to persecute you too. The same thing that happened to me is going to happen to you. But Christians often get ashamed. I think that maybe is one of the reasons, too, Peter denied Jesus three times. Right after Jesus gets arrested for being Jesus, if you're his disciple, wouldn't that mean you're next? So when people, hey, you're what? I imagine some of those people, when they brought it up, they were doing it, accusing him. Hey, you're with Jesus. The guy who's right over there getting beat up. That's intimidating, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't you just naturally think they're going to beat me up too? But you know what? Peter, he got ashamed, and you know he regretted it later. So, uh, but go ahead, go ahead and turn over to Mark 8. I do want to show you one thing, because I think this is important here. Notice what it says. So after he warns him about all these things, he tells him, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Verse 35, he says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Now what does that passage mean right there? Sounds kind of like if we're ashamed, if we punk out when the going gets tough, like we ain't going to heaven. It doesn't kind of sound like Now some people teach it that way. But wait, what does that mean when it says if we're ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of us? Well, what I believe it means, I do not believe for one second it means you can lose your salvation. Here's what, exactly what I believe it means. It means that when you put distance between yourself and Christ because you're ashamed, when he needs you, he will put distance between you and him when you need him. That's what I believe that means. For example, maybe I got a coworker and the Lord needs me to be a witness to him. But I'm embarrassed. And so I, I'm trying, I don't want him to know I'm a Christian. I'm distancing myself from Christ because I'm ashamed. But then, let's say later now, I've got a need. I've got a financial need. I've got a physical need. I need, or, or maybe too, I'm in a situation where as a pastor... You know, I'm being criticized. People are talking bad about me and acting like I'm not legit. And I need the Lord to show His power in me right now. I need the Lord to show that He's got my back. But I've been ashamed of Him. You know, He's going to be ashamed of me. Hey, yeah, you need me to do a miracle right now? Forget you. I needed you to be a witness last month, and you wouldn't do it. You were embarrassed. Yeah, you need me right now, but you know what? You're on your own in this situation. That's what I personally believe that means right there. And so, uh, you know, there are there's many times when God needs us to represent Him. He needs to stand. He needs us to tell people His words. Oh man, if I preach that in my church, my people, they're going to leave. They're not going to be able to handle that. You're going to be ashamed of my words. You're going to be ashamed to get up and preach. You know what? Fine. I need you right now, but you don't want to do anything. Fine. But then one of these days. I got you all giving me grief. You know, I need a situation like when Moses was being challenged by Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, you know. And you know, the Lord opened up the ground and swallowed them up. You know, I need a situation like that. But you think God's going to do that for me if I've been ashamed to even tell his words? You think I'm going to show that you're the real thing? You think I'm going to show I got your back? I don't want to be connected to you. 
You don't want to be connected to me. I don't want to be connected to you. And folks, we all have those days where we need the Lord, don't we? We need Him to answer our prayers. We need Him to vindicate us maybe in a situation. We need Him to show us that we're right. We need Him to show us that He's got our back. But if we've been ashamed of Him, not willing to do what He needs us to do, God's not going to do what He needs us, what we need Him to do. That's what that means. I'm, we're going to go to heaven no matter what. Hey, we're already saved. That's established. That's clear in the Bible. But I don't want God to be ashamed of me. I want the Lord to do a work in this church. I want the Lord to do amazing things at Liberty Baptist Church. But if we're ashamed of Him and aren't willing to preach the whole counsel of God, we're not willing to go out there and spread the gospel and be willing to look bad in the community sometime for preaching the truth, then God's not going to show Himself strong in our life. Because we have distanced ourselves from Him and now He's distancing Himself from us. We're still saved. We're still going to heaven. But let's not expect anything great on this earth. And you know what, too? It talks specifically about when He comes back with His angels. I believe how close we get to work with Him in the Millennial Kingdom will probably be determined by how closely we're working with Him now. You know, the Lord might want us. Some of us were such bad Christians. We've been so ashamed of Him. He's going to be so embarrassed by us, He's going to have us serve in Antarctica somewhere. I'm going to go put you where nobody's at. Because you're embarrassing. I, I, that's what I personally think that means. So I don't think we need to go to Mark 8 and teach people to lose your salvation. But we do need to teach people, don't be ashamed of Christ. Otherwise, He'll be ashamed of you. We're all going to need Him one of these days. So often in this Christian life, the earthly end result is shame, reproach, and sometimes even death. But we shouldn't be ashamed of that because we know that our end is not the end. We know we need to get a hold of that. And we should willingly and gladly be wherever God wants us to be and we should never be ashamed. If God wants us to serve in some small town somewhere or in some foreign country out in the middle of nowhere, never, never, we're never well known, we're, we, we never you know, maybe accomplished as much as far as this world's concerned, but we did what God needed us to do and we weren't ashamed of it, you know what? God will give us something greater in that millennial kingdom. And a lot of people are ashamed to do what God wants them to do. That's just not big enough. That's not going to make me look good. Well, you know what? We're not here to make ourselves look good. We're here to make God look good. And we could preach a whole other message on that. Listen, identify yourself with Christ as much as possible. Never be ashamed of Him. He needs you to represent Him in a good way. And one of these days, you're going to need Him to represent you. And show himself strong. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. I pray you'll help us, Lord, as Christians not to be ashamed. Lord, help us not to be ashamed of our brothers and sisters who are uh, are serving you and taking strong stands. I pray you'll help us to be an encouragement to them, to stand with them. But Lord, most of all, I pray we'll never be ashamed of you, Lord. Help us always be willing uh, to do what you've told us to do and commanded us and to uh, do what we can to make a difference. In your name we pray. Amen. What's going on?